0: Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Up next, we have Ryan Jones and get his insight in the common data services for apps and investments on the platform for the future. Ryan is a group program manager at Microsoft and has been with the company for the last seven years. Prior to that, he led an IaaS business at Maximum ASP and also as a musician. For full show notes, please go to nz365guide.com forward slash 64. Now let's get on with the show. Ryan, welcome to the Power 365 show. Thanks so much, Mark. Hey, it's good to have you on here. before we kind of uh, you know get into the questions uh, you know that I have around CDS and kind of your role um, with the power platform and everything, Microsoft Business applications um, you've been in Microsoft for a while now. can you tell me a bit about Microsoft uh, you, you know your journey in there so far and even uh, family and kind of you know what spins your wheels?
1: Totally, totally. So, gosh, let's see. At Microsoft, I've been here just shy of eight years. It'll be eight years here at the new year. And uh, deep, dark secret, uh, when I joined Microsoft, I actually joined our marketing department. No, uh, are it was, you
0: serious? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was before
1: we were like, it was kind of like when we were dipping our toes in the whole Azure thing. And so, um, I actually come from kind of like a web hosting background. I worked for a company, Maximum ASP. Um, I launched uh, the IaaS business there. It was a product called Max. And so anyway, met a lot of people at Microsoft through that experience and uh, actually sold that company to a, to a telecom and decided it was time for a change of pace. And so came to Microsoft in marketing. And back then we called people in our marketing department product managers. But what I learned very quickly is what we typically think of as being the product management discipline um, occurs in the program management role at Microsoft. And so when that dawned upon me, I, you know, started saying hey i should go talk to some of my friends that lead uh, program man- program management groups and you know had a few emails back and forth uh, with various folks and ended up working in the azure websites group for a few years and so shipped that, of course, as uh, one of the first kind of modern services in Azure back in, gosh, was that 2011, 2012? It's been so long now. It's hard to remember. And so then started working on Azure Pack and Azure Stack. So working on how we take our cloud technologies and make them available to our customers in the in the private cloud. And in doing that, really got to know this the technology called Azure Resource Manager. And So they said, gosh, Ryan, you're doing a great job uh, running that inside of Azure Stack. Why don't you come over and run Azure Resource Manager for Azure? And so did that for several years. And then, you know, a few weeks, a few weeks, well, no, sorry, a few years later, um, one of my uh, buddies that I'd made along the way, Charles Lamana, he's our general manager for Citizen Application Platform. He said, hey, Ryan, come over and run platform services for me. And uh, maybe it was it was one of those offers uh, that you couldn't refuse. Uh, you know, maybe like the godfather, just a little bit less bloody. Uh, but I decided that that was a, a good opportunity. And so I've come over here, been in Power Apps and Dynamics for right out a year, a year and one month to the day. Yeah, so, man, it seems like it was yesterday that I was uh, moving from main campus down to Advanta, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's a really exciting time in this
0: group. Is, is the culture quite different than main campus down in Advanta, do you feel?
1: Um, I don't think that there's a big a big culture difference uh, between between the two locations. But what I would say is, you know, we've been going through, I would say, a, a real culture change uh, within the Dynamics and Power Apps group. And so, I would definitely say that there's kind of like a cultural infusion going on into the business application group from patterns and practices that we've seen developed in Azure and in Office, and so on and so forth. And those things really influencing. How we run the business applications group on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, good, good. So, uh, a bit of a bit of background on you. Are you have you always been based in Seattle, or uh, further afield, and family?
1: Ah, That's a great question. So uh, I I didn't grow up in Seattle. I've been here eight years. I moved here when I took the job with Microsoft. Before that, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, or as people from the area would say, Louisville. Um, (laughs) You make sure to say it like you have a mouthful of uh, mashed potatoes or something. Um, But I grew up in in Kentucky. I lived there for 21 years, uh, up until, you know, I came and joined Microsoft. And so, you know, Went through elementary school, middle school, high school there in Louisville. Um, went to college, um, both grad and undergrad school there in Louisville as well. And then, you know, kind of worked while I was in college, and then uh, worked immediately out of college until I uh, until I came and joined Microsoft. So, did you call it home? Oh, gosh, Seattle is home now. You know, I've got a wife and two beautiful daughters here, and so Seattle's home. I, I love waking up in the morning, and at least when the sun is up, when I wake up, I can look outside of the window in our kitchen. Um, and on a clear day, I can see Mount Rainier to the south, and I can see Mount Baker to the to the northeast and see Lake Washington uh, around around our house. We live on a hill by Lake Washington. And so with, with a view like that every day, uh, it becomes home real fast
0: wow yeah it, it's, an, it's a nice place I've probably spent more time there this year than, than I have uh, in the past I've been you know going going up there for the last seven years and um, I got a chance to get out on the lake and uh, just crystal clear days the mountain mount was out it was just yeah phenomenal very nice area to live
1: yeah the summers that we have here are phenomenal it's the best you know eight weeks of your life <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's that short So you went to at university, did a bachelor of arts degree in music technology, followed by your master's in science uh, and I.T. Can you tell me a bit about how music uh, has kind of influenced your I.T. journey?
1: Yeah. um, So let's see. I, growing up, I always loved playing music. I, I played piano uh, up until high school, played percussion and drums in high school, and then at the end of high school, picked, picked up the bass guitar. And, you know, couldn't totally decide what I wanted to do when I, quote, grew up, unquote. Yep, yep. And so I thought, hey, I really like this music thing. And what I realized very, very quickly was – um music didn't uh pay terribly well. And while I was in undergrad, uh my, my mother was involved in a pretty serious car accident and mom and dad sat me down and said, Hey Ryan, we can't, you know, pay for your school right now until we get things sorted out with with mom's health and so I had to work while I was in uh, while I was in undergrad and I started programming control systems. So if you've ever seen Crestron or AMX touchscreens in conference rooms or boardrooms or those sorts of things, I started programming those and I started doing acoustical modeling and analysis to understand like where loudspeakers should be placed in conference rooms or theaters or houses of worship um, and. And <laughs> I found out that I was kind of good at this whole programming thing. It just kind of came naturally to me, and so it dawned on me: wait a second, like I could make a living um, doing doing information technology, working on engineering systems and computers and all this stuff. Um, and then on the weekends, I'd be able to have fun um, and play music and those sorts of things, uh, rather than being you know more of a starting artist of sorts. Now, nice. uh, I think I was a little naive. Because now that I'm married and have two kids, I'm lucky if I get the dust off my bass guitar once a month. But uh, the kids, the girls are worth it. So I do it any day of the week. But yeah, I ended up making that move totally kind of out of necessity. It wasn't really a planned or intentional thing.
0: Uh, do you think your, your your girls will come through with like musical talent? Will you encourage that?
1: Oh, well, I will tell you that we put our now five-year-old in piano lessons last year. And... While she liked them, she didn't seem to learn a whole lot from them. And so I think we'll try again here in the few years. But we try to encourage our girls to, outside of school, participate in a sport um, and participate in an artistic extracurricular activity. And so we'll continue doing that for it. And I'm sure they'll land on something that they like.
0: Awesome. So – Can you kind of explain what your role is in context of the other roles, if you like, in in the team that makes up the the suite of applications inside um, the Microsoft Business Applications area? And kind of, yeah, what is your role and how does that feed into other roles, that type of thing, um, and what you do?
1: That's a great question. So my title is I'm a group program manager and what that means is more or less I uh, I have a bunch of other program managers that are on my team, um, and, and so of course you know this primarily is composed of really understanding what customers want and need, uh, converting that into an engineering plan that our engineering counterparts can execute upon, um, and then measuring our success, learning from our successes and failures, and starting the cycle all over again. Now, when you think about like kind of where I sit in the broader organization, Organization and what things I am accountable for, um, I'm ultimately accountable for the common data service. The common data service uh, being you know, the, the API down, back end, if you will, that supports uh, the Dynamics customer engagement business, as well as a big chunk of the Power Apps business as well. Now, when you ask, well, how does that fit with the applications and the other various platform services teams, it's a great question. So all of the app teams are distinct and independent from the platform now. So app plat separation isn't just a term that we throw around anymore. It's actually enforced in our org structure as well. Um, and so, you know, there's an organization that builds our sales app and there's an organization that builds our service app. And in, in many ways, they're like one of my customers, if you think of it that way. And then within the platform services group, more broadly speaking, um, my peers focus on the, the various uh, experiences or capabilities that are layered over over the top of CDS, and so for example, Ryan Cunningham, uh, his team is knocking it out of the park. Understanding what does it mean to build and run a great maker experience. So, how does how do I have a great experience for building apps over the top? Of CDS, uh, James Olnick, he's responsible for the administration experience. So what does it mean for me to manage the lifecycle, security, compliance of my CDS instances? Um, we've got Gotham. Gotham is responsible for the user experience. So the various application players that render the model Canvas-driven apps that our customers build. And then we've got Steven Siciliano, who's responsible for the flow service uh, end-to-end. So we're all one big happy uh, family.
0: <laughs> he's on. He's on straight after you. Actually, I've got, mm. I've got him coming on. Awesome. To have a chat. Chat about that site. Well, I didn't realize. So, what was that? Five, five of you. If you like sitting at that level with various components of the environment.
1: I think that sounds right. I'm not very good at counting. Yeah, so yeah, I th- <laughs> but there's a bunch I of think us. Yes. That.
0: <laughs> so, so w- what's the favorite part of your role?
1: So. I there's two things that I really love about about my role. One is I'm like very kind of quantitatively minded and so I love looking at numbers, looking at data, identifying where there are opportunities for improvement and digging into that and using that information to, you know, justify a position or justify an investment and then going in and making those investments and changes and then looking at the that same data to see hey I I took this action, I fixed this issue, I built this feature trying to address this blind spot that was revealed to us by our telemetry. Did I actually succeed in doing it? And I think that's super cool. Uh, The other thing I really, really like is sometimes we have some, you know, like big rocks or big things sitting in front of us. And sometimes it can be very daunting to understand where do I start? What do I do first? You know, how do I solve this really big problem? And I think that – and I don't want to brag, but I think I do have a a skill around bringing clarity to sometimes very complex and broad problems – and that really excites me because I feel that that's something that helps other people uh, do their jobs more effectively, right? It helps them really understand what's important, what they need to do, and it helps them maximize their impact on both our customer experience as well as Microsoft's, you know, top and bottom lines.
0: Mm, 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 mm. Interesting. So, you know, one of the chats we've had um, in the past is, you know, with your responsibility, you um, with CDS for apps, is kind of you, you've kind of got an underlying kind of driver mechanism, or or kind of like standards that you're you're achieving, and, and can you talk about a bit about what they are and how they uh, work and or help you focus on what you're doing?
1: Of course. So the first thing that I would say uh, is we really focus a lot on fundamentals. We realize that our customers are betting their business on dynamics and power apps for their day to day operations. And if if we fail, then that means that there's oftentimes you know ex, uh, impact to revenue, impact to um, of course customer experience, so on and so forth. And so we take those fundamentals very very seriously. And so fundamentals like it can be. Kind kind of an ambiguous term, and so I like to break it down a little bit, and I break it down into my five, uh, five big things. And so I'll rattle them off uh, for you kind of quickly, and then we'll dig into what each one means. So the first one, of course, is availability and reliability. Is the service up and running, and is it working? The second one is performance. Is the system responding to user input within a specified or reasonable latency? Number three is supportability when something breaks or when something goes wrong, do we provide the information that a user needs or perhaps their admin needs to be able to resolve that issue without needing to open a support ticket or wait a while for us to realize what's going on or or whatever else. Item number four is security. We realize that the business's uh, crown jewels are many times entrusted to Dynamics and so we take security very, very seriously. And then finally, efficiency. Um, you know, the dynamics business is a fairly large business, both from a financial perspective, as well as from like an infrastructure footprint perspective. And so we step back and look and say, hey, are we being good stewards of the resources that we're consuming um, and using to operate the business to, at the end of the day, you know, support uh, the business objectives that Amy Hood, our CFO, outlines for the broader Microsoft business.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so of those five kind of um, as they kind of um, drive you forward, kind of, what do you, uh, what areas do you find you're playing more in, or working on more, or are you pretty much spread across all those five areas? As in, you know, you've you've been in the role a year and a half, uh, sorry, a year a year and one month, and um, you you've come into a technology that's been around, I don't know, for what since since uh 2003 so 15 plus years there must be some stuff whether it be legacy or anything like that that needs cleaning up to some degree and tidying up is that is that part of your remit at the moment and kind of how does that play into these five pillars
1: uh, that's that's a great question. So I think there's kind of two two answers to that. Number one is to answer very directly. Um, we probably spend the most time digging into availability and performance today, um, really ensuring. You know what we found is expectations of end users have changed. Oh, yeah, you know, now totally. that I can go to my iPhone and launch the Uber app and request a, a ride in like five seconds and have a driver waiting outside the front of my home or office building in like two minutes. Um, people expect thing, their experiences to be fast and snappy and so on and so forth. And so we have to, you know, make sure that number one, those experiences work every single time. And number two, that... Uh, that those experiences are fast and responsive and meet their per, their their expectations because we see an increasingly large number of circumstances where an operation might actually succeed, but the end user gave up on it because they're used to things loading so quickly and behaving so quickly uh, in more modern applications. And so we definitely spend lots and lots and lots of time on availability and and performance. Um, The other thing that I would say that we spend a, a really significant amount of time on is we have this amazing portfolio of technologies. We have, of course, the Dynamics applications built on top of uh, CDS or what, of course, historically was called XRM. We have Power Apps Canvas applications. We have Flow. Um, We have all these things that are now a part of the same common technology portfolio. And the thing that's so cool is each one of these products evolved somewhat independently. And there's places where like one product has really nailed a particular part of the implementation or particularly nailed a particular experience. And so there's opportunities to bring the different products into like better alignment, if you will, so that we're able to build more seamless experiences so that it really does feel like you're building applications on top of the power platform rather than, oh, I'm building, a Canvas application over the top of CDS, which will then trigger a flow. We we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how we can make the different Legos, if you will, snap together uh, to build a more cohesive product and build a better customer experience.
0: Yeah. So I assume that, uh, you know, over time that we would potentially not even consider um, model-driven apps and Canvas apps, two separate things. In a way, it's just part of the tool set you need to build applications to address business scenarios. Is that is that kind of the way you're thinking?
1: Um, so the way that I think about it is this. I think that when we think about what is really, really critical to many businesses today, it's really all about data, right? Every business, whether they realize it or not, is in the data business in one form or another and so i think about how to within cds do we allow businesses to easily uh, create, build, define a, a data practice, and then over the top of that data, and of course the codified business processes around that data, they can then start to build applications that are, as you mentioned earlier, either the model-driven or the canvas-driven applications. Now, I think where there's like a mental shift that we that we may want to think about is that data that resides in CDS, that's durable, that's enduring, that's going to sit there for a very, very long period of time. However, the experiences or apps that are built over the top of it, in many cases can be much more fluid, right? And so the thing is today, um, someone may have a large uh, model-driven app with a large number of forms, views, dashboards, charts, so on and so forth. But that, that, from an experience perspective and really meeting the needs of their end users, it might actually make sense for them to build a smaller model-driven app for back-office uh, functionality, but then turn around and build a set of smaller purpose-built Canvas applications for like folks that are in field or lighter weight roles to use on a day-to-day basis. And, and what you find is the apps, I don't want to say they're disposable because that doesn't really do justice to the importance of the experience experience or uh, you know the complexity of some of these applications but these apps will evolve and will change over time even if the data underneath them uh, remains relatively consistent and so, when I think about, you know, changes that'll happen and occur in the fullness of time around how model and canvas-driven apps work together or how they become more similar or different or whatever else, I, I, I think, yes, that will happen. But in many ways, that's, that's a layer over the top of the core data practice that really is what runs the business on a day-to-day basis and is what, you know, customers need to be thinking about refining and improving on a day-to-day basis
0: yeah as in you know i was recently watching something from elon musk and you know he's when he's spun up another company and this one's around creating a new interface because he thinks that um, that the biggest issue that we have with data consumption is the interface is slow or non performant in other words it's via a screen or via a keyboard or via a mouse and Um, in it you know he's he's working at um, creating an interface directly to your brain which is quite interesting um, uh, concept and so I can see here this concept of you're keeping the data if you like quite separate from the presentation layer it really does allow you to morph it into or make it consumable actionable etc in whatever format is kind of developed in the coming years as well
1: yeah, I think that's a, a great point, and I mean, it even reminds me of some of the things that we have going on more broadly in James Phillips' org right now, where we have Lorraine uh, driving the mixed reality and augmented reality uh, team. And forgive me, like I'm not really an expert in that area, but one of the things that we're seeing is that in many cases, a lot of the complexities around building those applications do involve kind of this basic data practice that. CDS makes quite simple. And so what we're seeing is as they try to understand how these things fit together, CDS becomes this amazing home for a lot of that critical business data that's used for driving those, those HoloLens um, experiences. Um, and, and so as a result, that allows people to focus on some of the other challenges associated with building these, uh, these crazy like immersive mixed augmented reality apps.
0: Interesting. So, can you kind of pull apart for me um, the uh, CDS? Like, what are what are the components? What sits down there and really, um, yeah? Let's stay away from anything, um, perhaps on the presentation layer, if it's not directly embedded into CDS. How how would you um, explain the moving parts of CDS?
1: Ah, That's a great question. So let's talk about this in terms of how like, a given client might send a request into CDS. And let's walk through it from, from that perspective. Um, so assume you are on your phone and you try to go load, a, or let's say you have an application already loaded, let's say it's a Canvas app, and it tries to pull data from CDS. So first, what will happen is that request will hit the CDS APIs. Um, We have... these units of deployments called scale groups. And within those scale groups, we have a number of different roles. One of those roles is our web role or our web server role. And so your API request uh, hits hits that web server. And as it does that, it enters into an execution pipeline. And so this is where we do all of our fancy stuff around like extensibility where people can write custom code with plugins or they can invoke web hooks or they can push stuff into Service Bus or you know, build custom authorization, all that crazy stuff. And it finally trickles through that pipeline, at which point we're able to convert that request into um, a SQL query that goes and hits uh, SQL. Um, we use a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of SQL. I think we're one of the largest uh, SQL customers uh, today uh, in, right? in Azure. So mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. use a lot of SQL Um and and of course those results come back from SQL and then flow back up through through the web tier now there's some interesting kind of nuances there that kind of described a synchronous path, um, and I, you know, I mentioned plugins, but in that particular scenario, um, if it stays completely within the web tier, then what that means is all the plugins that executed were first-party plugins that we that we trust, we know the code is safe, so on and so forth. Now, one of the things that happens is, of course, people write their own plugins, and so when they do those, we host those in another tier of the service that we call our sandbox tier, and And those use a special mechanism um, that's kind of a precursor to what people know as Hyper-V containers to isolate different customers' code from one another. And so in some cases, what will happen is that pipeline will end up redirecting the request, if you will, internally from the web server over into our sandbox tier and then put it back in the web server and go down to SQL. So that kind of covers asynchronous processing. But then if you think about synchronous processing, there's lots of things that don't have to be done immediately when the user interacts with the service. And in fact, this is oftentimes a common performance optimization that people can make to their applications where they can convert synchronous operations to asynchronous operations. And so for asynchronous processing, we have a tier of machines that essentially work against a job queue and process all of these different asynchronous actions. Um, common asynchronous actions that that you've probably seen is like if you've ever defined uh, a bulk delete job or if you've registered your workflow or your plugin to run asynchronously, all of those things sit and run um, in, in our async uh, tier. So at a high level, you could think of there as being like four big logical boxes, web, SQL, sandbox, and async. And So that's kind of what our infrastructure looks like today. One of the things that's kind of cool to me is, of course, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with our Run 1 initiatives where we're working with all of our customers to upgrade from 8x uh, and older versions of the product to 9x. With 9x, 9x runs fully in Azure. And so that opens up a bunch of new opportunities for us around how we can take advantage of Azure's you know, massive scalability and flexibility uh, to more dynamically respond to customer needs. Whether that comes to you know scaling the service dynamically based on load, or whether that comes to improving our DR story, or improving our high availability story, or improving our engineering systems around so that we can more quickly like patch issues that customers may find. There's all of these cool new scenarios that start to light. Light up uh, as as we bring the the broader customer base onto 90, which runs on top of a much more modern infrastructure. So uh, I'm I'm actually very excited because you know I, my background, as I mentioned earlier, I do come from Azure, and so I now get to consume all these things that I had an opportunity to build, but not necessarily use myself. I now get to use all those cool things. So that's like super exciting to me.
0: I bet, I bet. So a couple of questions come up, you know, out of what you said. Um, what you described there, um, you know, around the web, the SQL, the async servers, et cetera, um, totally familiar. That's something that's been in the, you know, our dynamics world for a long time and, and the scale groups and things like that. So in in the over to um, the one environment, um, are you seeing kind of like, are we getting, uh, sorry, is the end user, uh, based on your telemetry data, are you seeing uh, like an up, up, uh, performance increase, if you like, because, you know, we are now moving across to this modern technology. Um, definitely, I find in, you know, if we're on the the UI experience, it seems to be much, much faster these days. Um, but what's your kind of data telling you?
1: Oh yeah, the data totally tells us that customers are happier on Nine O and using the unified interface. Um, we know that our availability is better on on Nine X, um, and we know our performance is is better on Nine X uh, with with the unified interface as well. And so, you know, sometimes people ask me, you know, Hey Ryan, I'm on like 8.2. What should I do? And so I say, you know, what you need to do, and I mean because. The reality is, all customers will be doing this here in the next couple months if they haven't already. Step one: go get on nine. Step two: move over to unified interface. Like it's super, super important.
0: Yeah. So, so I don't know if this is in your area, but are we targeting? Did I see somewhere the end of next year type thing to hopefully have most people switched over to the new UI and thing and and the new platform, or is it sooner than that?
1: So, having everybody moved over to to nine um, is imminent. Um, in fact, uh, I believe at this point, all customers have been scheduled for their their CDU window, and we literally perform thousands of those upgrades every week. Wow. So that's like a, I, maybe I'd say a well-oiled machine. That's not to say that sometimes you know we don't have to walk up and kick the machine on the side a little bit to keep it going, but like that part's running and, and, and going ahead full steam. Uh, the transition to, to unified interface, um, that that takes a little bit more time um, and is going to be a more phased approach. But I mean, from an investment perspective, that's, that's where our engineers are writing code. You know, there are huge performance benefits. When we look at net promoter score or customer satisfaction, end user satisfaction, we find that users are happier when they use the unified interface. Um, and, you know, it's also from an accessibility perspective, um, it, it's it's much better overall. And so really, that is the future. That's where our investment is going on the UI side of things. And so I can't encourage folks to uh, to move quickly enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. So uh, one of the other questions coming up from that um, discussion before is uh, you are saying you, you're a major, one of the largest consumers of Azure SQL now, um, you know, a back into the Azure team. So uh, do you find that you're making requests to them to around enhancements now? Because you're pretty much their customer, right?
1: So yeah, we have a, a great, you know, dialogue with, with Azure SQL in that, you know we're able to say, hey, here's what we're trying. Here's what seems to work. Here's what you know seems to not work. Um, what things should we do differently? Um, hey, there are these certain capabilities that we need uh, to to be a better customer of uh, Azure SQL, um, and, and we have a very active, ongoing dialogue with them. In fact, it's a, it's actually a topic in uh, one of Scott Guthrie's uh, regular recurring rhythms between the different teams in uh, CNE and ai so it's it's a it's a big thing
0: so uh, t- from a um you know i assume you that you you have a, a bunch of business conversations as and you get called in to have them with customers from time to time how do you kind of translate the technology down to a business level and have a business a person discussion around what cds is and what it could mean for their organization
1: that, that's a great question. So a lot of times what we'll do when we're engaging with business stakeholders is we will try to identify a particular business scenario or uh use case where they think technology could digitally transform or in some cases just straight up revolutionize uh, their business process. And what we do is we try to understand that particular scenario or that particular use case, and then we show them how CDS and Power Apps and Dynamics Help them, uh, you know, uh, improve that process, uh, solve that problem, so on and so forth. Um, and usually it boils down to what does it mean for us to um, go from usually paper based processes or disconnected systems into, you know, converting that into data. And then what does it mean for us to create structure around the business process that they're they that they're looking to improve? And I mean, this, this goes all the way from, hey, what does it mean for me to harvest leads? To what does this mean for me to improve um, the check-in experience at my hotel or resort or casino? Um,
0: Just not lose the data at the moment, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but I mean, like there's... You know, it's kind of like those sorts of things. Because if I go and I meet with a business person and I start talking web servers and Azure SQL and Sync and Async, their eyes just glaze over. Um, And at the end of the day, like business owners are saying, hey, you know what? I need to know who I should be selling to. Or I need to know whether my customers are happy or not or I need to improve my customer experience overall. Those are the problems that they, our customers come to us with. They don't come to problems with around, uh, you know, hey, I really need to figure out how I can better uh, scale my web server tier, or I need another way to store data. Those aren't the questions that our customers are asking us.
0: Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, what about things like uh, some legacy things, if you like, within the platform? So, for example, if we, we looked at search, we see, and, and this is really looking at the dynamics layer, you've got advanced find, you've got a quick find, you've got relevant search. Um, have I covered them all?
1: Um, (laughs) Oh, you probably forgotten a few, but I mean, there's so many I can't. I can't really hold you at fault
0: for that. Yeah. Do do you think there's like, well, you know, is your thinking around kind of perhaps even unifying search within the application and kind of, yeah, uh, in that respect?
1: So that's a great question. I I don't know if I want to get into too much detail when it comes to our search roadmap, but I think Mm -hmm. that there are some like Uber lessons that that I think we can that we can learn. Um, One is, I think that, uh, and this is a common Microsoft problem, um, when there's a problem that we have to solve... um or a set of problems to solve, oftentimes we tend to lean towards building a multitude of solutions, trying to be all things to all people, rather than investing more heavily in a more focused set of scenarios, features, or investments, right? And I think that there's no better example of this than the multitude of search and find options that we have in the product today. Um, and, And so this has other implications In that, you know, because we have several different features that do similar things, we have multiple times more code supporting all of those different features and therefore that many more corresponding bugs, so on and so forth, rather than us having a more narrowly defined scope or feature set um, that, that at the end of the day better meets and fulfills customer expectations. So I think kind of the importance of focus and investing in a smaller number of areas is something that we're really thinking a, a lot more about. The the other thing that that I think uh, the the search scenario that you mentioned highlights is what does it mean for us to roll out new capabilities in, in the product? And what does it mean to truly have a minimum viable product? And what does it mean for us to get technologies or features to a place where people can actually switch over to the modern variants uh, of our product with uh, as little pain, if any, uh, as possible, right? And And, and so... It's something that we're thinking quite a bit about. Like, I mean, as an example, once again, going back to our Run One initiative, you know, we're really working hard with our customers to ensure that we're all running the same version of the product uh, to foster a more cohesive ecosystem, to foster better and up-to-date experiences, and... um and to ensure that we don't need to invest across multiple features, multiple stacks at the same time. Um, and so we can see where kind of learnings are trickling in to how we plan, how we execute on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, that man, that's brilliant because, you know, over the, the, the seven years that I've kind of been very close with the technology, um, I've seen the product team build a bunch of stuff that were, if you like, almost point solutions, that address one thing, um but we're always we're gonna in the next cycle we'll build on it and there never was a next cycle of like funding or investment so you know things like hierarchies there was a read-only form at one point a lot of discussion there were things like connections you know connections is a brilliant concept that just doesn't have a ui to back it up type thing which you know was always intended to yeah we'll do that piece first and then the other things will come but they yeah they didn't so I'm really pleased to hear that there's this kind of focusing and making sure you know that that what is built is you know um, has a life cycle in its own right and uh, rather than just investing in in, in little parts of it. Um, can you step me through the separation of the platform from apps such as Dynamics 365 for sales from? Uh, CDS, like in layman's terms, kind of what was that journey and and what does it ultimately mean for perhaps people in that dynamics category that are, you know, been on the platform for some time?
1: Great question. So, if we think about you know where where we started, I mean, literally the applications, their code lived in their same in the same repository with uh, the code resting alongside the the code that ran the platform. Um, and in fact, you know, this kind of lack of separation between application and platform, um, it was very very effective in helping. Helping Microsoft build, you know, a viable CRM uh, business in the in the early days, right? Kind of that verticalization of of the platform and applications. Um, however, it resulted in some of these point solutions, as as you mentioned earlier. And so, as as we've been trying to extract these things from one another, I mean, this has included everything from refactoring code, refactoring code, refactoring code, refactoring code. to, you know, placing code in different repositories, to, you know, getting to a place where the applications um, are represented as solutions but still kind of are there in that main build that we deploy uh, on a regular basis. Uh, But I mean, our goal from a long-term perspective is that sales and service and marketing, uh, those applications will be apps that could be installed not only independently from one another, but that they could actually be installed on what was otherwise uh, an empty CDS instance. Now, to be clear, you know that's not a roadmap statement, that's a vision statement, but we think that's actually really important uh, long-term for the business. Um, from a performance perspective, from an availability and reliability perspective, um, from a servicing efficiency perspective, it's super, super important. Because to give an example, if we have a customer who only uses Dynamics 365 for sales, and yet today the marketing solution, um, and maybe marketing's not the best example, let's say the customer service solution uh, is installed alongside that, the reality is there's you know processing power being consumed to support service functionality that they're they're not using. Um, there is space being consumed that drives to kind of overhead and costs. Um, and then, of course, even when we think about from a reliability perspective, when we go through and update, uh, that that organization on a weekly basis the 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 opportunity for things to go wrong is higher because we're touching more stuff on a weekly basis and we're touching stuff that the customer may not even care about and so in many ways it reminds me of if you think about the journey that windows server has gone through um, over many years where if i hop in my time machine and go back to like 2000 2003 you know you install windows server and it would have literally the kitchen sink um, included with it. And then in 2008 and 2012 variants, you know, you had server core and you had, uh, I believe, was it Nano server? Mm-hmm. I apologize. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally, uh, I'm forgetting the exact term. Yes, it's been a little while. But I mean, the, the notion of what does it really mean to have a minimal footprint where people just install the, the capabilities that they need so that we can be more efficient, so that we can be more reliable, so that we can be more secure. Um, and so that's totally where we're going from a vision perspective, but... Um, but it is taking time. I mean, uh, when I chat to Matt, with Matt Barber about At Plat separation, you know, he'll lean back in his chair and say, Well, when we started At Plat separation back and he throws out a date, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that was a long time ago. And, you know, he explains kind of how we've gotten to where we are and so on and so forth, it, it reinforces that we're on a journey here. But I do think we actually have line of sight to it, to it happening in in the not too distant future. Once again, don't put don't want to put any dates there don't want to make roadmap statements, but I totally see like it's on our radar. It's it, it is a reality. It's not just a thing that you know the architects come up with when they you know go into their secret room and put on their tall hats and make big decisions uh, amongst one another. Like it, it's not too far from reality.
0: So so you know there's a range of those apps um, that have complex entities in them, and do you see a day in the future where I, as an ISV, could come along and kind of build apps to the same level, you know, com, you know, very complex apps, um, because I will kind of have the the full kind of, almost the same level of access to CDS as perhaps the um, the PM of Dynamics 365 Sales.
1: Uh, that's a great question. So we take more and more things that are capabilities exposed to our first-party apps and make them available to third-party applications on on a day-to-day basis. But I would say that there are certain capabilities that we have on the, on the platform that are available to first parties, more for legacy reasons, more so than like actual real or acceptable, uh, reasons. And we really don't want to make those capabilities more broadly available. In fact, we've had some apps, some first party apps that have stopped using those capabilities as they've matured and as they've progressed farther along in their app plat separation work. So, you know, like things such as, um, direct SQL access or things such as uh, we we call it full trust, but what that really means is um, you run on like on the web servers um, rather than in the sandbox servers. It's not necessarily, it's a statement about where you run as well as what trust profile you run in. Um, Those things like, you really, really don't want that as an ISV. Like with direct SQL access, the the blast radius of those sorts of things is simply too large. Um, You have the ability, you're one uh, omitted where clause away from destroying your business indefinitely. Um, With with full trust, you know, you cause a crash and you can literally crash the process that's servicing many other customers. Um, and, And so there's some of those things that, Internally, that we have for first-party apps that just really aren't things that we want to bring to the third-party apps, and even the first-party apps are trying to use those things less and less as they mature.
0: Yeah, so that that takes us a min- into the next question, which is around hindsight, right? You're standing on the shoulders of, you know, a lot of people that have gone before you, and it comes to the tooling we currently have. However, with hindsight um what would you design differently knowing what you know now and the advancements in technologies and that type of thing what would you um perhaps look at a different way of engineering
1: Oh that's a that's a great question. And so I would say there's a principle that I learned when working in Azure that I really really wish um, had been applied in Dynamics and maybe someday we will be able to apply it um, but you know we'll see. Um and that is um how important it is to design protocols that are idempotent and that are goal seeking. Um and so what that means is you know I always joke about um, gosh, like back when my wife and I were, you know, we were starting our family. Um, it's it's like the difference between two types of conversations I could have with her. I could walk up to her every day and say, honey, I would like to have another child. I would like to have another child. I would like to have another child. Or I could come to her and I could say each day, honey, I would like to have a total of two kids. I would like to have a total of two kids. Um, And and so the big differences between the outcomes of those two discussions is in the first scenario, I could really end up with any number of kids that could vary anyway from zero to the number of times that I told her that I would like us to have another child. Ignoring, of course, you know, biology and everything else. While in the context of me going in and saying, honey, I would like us to have two children – the end result, um, once again, ignoring biology and everything else, is that we end up with two kids, right? And and so the thing is, when we think about what it means to have a system where, for example, um, rather than supporting post and explicit create scenarios, we supported more of like an item potent creator updater upsert upsert style semantics. The huge benefit of this pattern is if there is a failure then the client can simply retry that operation and there's no impact the system simply eventually reaches goal state. And this is one of the ways that we, you know, really took Azure to being, uh, you know, a, a four nines, five nines type system compared to, you know, where it was when I started working on it. This is a key design tenant that I'd really like us to uh, to find ways to implement in the Power Apps and dynamic space. Now, in all fairness, from like a business perspective, you know, someone creating a new opportunity does have slightly different meaning to the system than someone that's going in and updating that that opportunity. So there's a little bit of uh, like a reconciliation between business requirements and technical best patterns and practices that we need to sort through. But I think uh, us sorting through what it means to be, you know, more declarative and how we just dis- express things, how we could make our protocols uh, more idempotent in nature, that's something that like, if, if I could hop in a time machine and go whisper in you know Gotham's or Jujar's or whoever's ear it was back in the day, I would totally go do that in an instant. Because the big thing that that leads to is a system that's much more deterministic in nature so that you can really, really understand what it is supposed to be doing at any given point in time. Uh, while today, like the outcomes of certain processes and those sorts of things can really be quite ambiguous or can be misinterpreted. Between Between one user, customer, and another.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, we've uh we've chewed up our time and uh I've still got more questions and even questions that came off that. But uh we're going to run out of time. So I'm gonna move on to uh in fact, is there anything you want to add before we just move on to quick fire questions?
1: No, no, uh quick fire away, man.
0: Okay, quick fire away. So these are not really, you know, job specific, they're more life specific in a way. But uh so what's one thing on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? Oh gosh.
1: Great question. Uh, I want to be a race car driver.
0: Nice. As in any type of uh, race car or, or uh, manufacturer? Uh,
1: one that goes fast. I do have <laughs> a, an AMG, uh, but I don't delude myself into thinking I would ever be able to afford an AMG race car. Wow, wow, wow. What annoys you the most? Uh, when people say th- that they will do things and they either <laughs> do not follow through or when they do something other than what they said they would do.
0: Yeah, fair call, fair call. What's hot on your reading, watching, or gaming list at the moment?
1: So reading, there has been this book sitting on my nightstand called Sons of the Prophets that's like uh-huh. a humorous look at Seattle history that I've been trying okay. to read for the last three years. I've been playing Forza with a racing sim wheel uh, because I go to Circuit of Americas this weekend wow. uh, for racing school, actually.
0: Wow, full on. You're really into it.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I'm going to try, you know, we'll see how it goes if... uh <laughs> If I don't answer emails next week, you'll know it didn't go well. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> What's
0: the one uh, productivity tool that you use every day? Outlook. Okay, interesting. I've had Teams today. I was—I was, I thought you might have gone with Teams, but all good. Um, what new technology will transform our future?
1: I have no idea. All of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Think about the customer. Nice, customer-centric. Ryan, it's been awesome. Um, Before we go, any, any recommendations of guests to come on the podcast in the future? Oh
1: gosh. Well, you said you're going to have Steven on next. So I was thinking he'd be, he'd be an awesome person to talk to. I think it might also be cool since we talked a little about MR, AR, IR uh, to chat with some of the folks from Lorraine's team about what's going on there and how they think that fits with business apps. I think that'd be pretty cool.
0: Awesome, and I've got uh, Ryan Cunningham on next week as well. So oh,
1: awesome! I figured you'd always chat, already chatted with him. Yeah, so yes, yeah, yeah, He yeah. of course would be a good a good chat, uh, as as would Gotham and. Uh... And James as well, if you haven't chatted with them already. I've noted
0: their names down. Um, Awesome, awesome. Um, Ryan, if people kind of want to follow you on social media, where do you post stuff that interests you? Is it Twitter, LinkedIn? Where is it?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter and I am on LinkedIn. I'm not as active on either as I should be, but feel free to mention me or message me or whatever else. Maybe you'll be able to draw me out of hiding.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you and get your thoughts and ideas around the investments on Comba Data Services for apps. So please connect with me, NZ365Guy. You'll find me pretty much everywhere on the socials. For full show notes or to discuss anything covered in the show, please go to nz365guy.com forward slash 64 and bye for now.